the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Thinking about healthcare these days? Well, you're not alone. And it seems that getting real information about the state of our medical system is tough to come by. That's why you've come to the right place with Dr. Bill, your radio MD. He's got the answers because he's a doctor. I said he's a doctor. And he wants to hear from you right now. 877-969-8600. And now it's time for Dr. Bill, your radio MD. Good morning, Tampa Bay. This is Dr. Bill, your radio MD. And I'm coming at you on WGUL860 AM. We are out of Tampa, Florida, but we can be reached anywhere in the world at 860-WGUL.com. That's 860-WGUL.com. This is Interactive Talk Radio. By the way, if you get to the website, click on Listen Live. And if it's between 9 and 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings, you'll hear me. Oh, boy. This is Talk Radio, Interactive Radio, and I generally have a theme that I stick to and I ask questions and also welcome comments about the topic that I'm discussing for the day. And we are at, write this down now, get your pen and paper, 813-289-1860. That's 813-289-1860. And toll free outside of the Tampa Bay area anywhere in North America, 877-969-8600. That's 877-969-8600. And I want to say good morning to all of our friends in Canada and Brazil who are listening. Appreciate you. Hang in there, guys. Thank everybody for joining the show this morning. Well, I want to talk about the role of the police in our society, about the relative risk that they take by becoming policemen, uh, how they're reimbursed, what they make, uh, and look a little bit at what our expectations are as a society of these people. And I was stimulated uh, by this by Elliot's call last week. He's one of the family, as you know. And he brought up some questions and made some points about the police, which I thought were excellent. And it got me to thinking, so I did some research this week. And first of all, I want to ask you guys, what do you expect from the police? What do you view their role as? I see it in terms of uh, providing protection, uh, keeping order, solving problems, hopefully helping people, going to accidents, uh, going to injuries, and making sure that whoever's hurt is being taken care of, their needs are addressed, making sure that the EMS is there. They do minor functions too, like call in broken water mains that they see or power lines that are down. And so there are eyes and our ears in a lot of ways for what goes on day to day in our society. And of course, we've 
had a lot of criticism of them in the past few months because of what happened in Ferguson and up in New York. Two different incidences, uh, two different outcomes, I'll guarantee you that. So we may have an idea of who they are and what they are and what they do in society. They may have a little bit different idea about what their job is, what their role is in society, and this is going to cause some conflict. And that's why we need to get together with these folks and keep the dialogue open. And not everyone views the role of police in the same way. Some see community leaders in public safety, and yet I see at times, uh, in fact, I did see a few years ago, uh, a Gulfport cop racing through our neighborhood. He was doing about 50 or 60 with his lights off. Apparently, there was a break-in, and he was racing to that. Well, you know, in our neighborhood, it's a gated community, and the speed limit's 15, and you got people out walking and riding bicycles all day and night. Uh, so I'm not sure that that was the appropriate response. It seemed a little bit overboard to me, but the policeman thought that that was his role. It doesn't promote public safety, but for the most part, I think the police are safe. <clears throat> of course, they they possess a broad discretion about what they can and cannot do, and as we saw in Ferguson, the state and the federal government both agreed that although it may not have been the most rational thing uh, when the cop shot the uh, young man, Michael Brown, I believe was his name, but he did have that discretion. It was within his authority to do that. We also want police to solve uh, problems, sociologic and technological p problems, and a lot of times they respond to domestic violence and act not only as uh, uh, the, the strong arm in the, in the conflict, but also as mediators and try and get people to uh, calm down and see the light although now there are state statutes in most states that you have to bring in somebody if they have committed domestic violence, whether you want to or not as a policeman. So they're in that role, and occasionally they serve in hostile or dangerous environments, and I think Elliot's point was that this is a dangerous profession. No doubt about it, it's in the top 10 uh, in 2007 and in the top 20 in 2012, uh, but it's certainly not the most dangerous job and the most dangerous job is or the two most dangerous jobs and they kind of go back and forth depending on the economy and the weather are fishers and fishermen particularly those who work in the arctic area off of alaska uh, going after the snow crabs the big the big crabs and loggers and they go back and forth and these are very dangerous jobs so fishermen their mortality uh, in one recent year was 111 per 100,000. Loggers, 86 per 100,000. And you'd be surprised to, to know that the uh, pilots, the commercial airline pilots, are number three, 70 or 71 per 100,000. Uh, the police in this in this current year didn't make it into the uh, the top five, but they did make it into the top 10, and there were 22 f fatalities per 100,000 people, as opposed to 111 for fishermen, 86 for loggers, 71 for aircraft pilots and flight engineers. These are the guys that do the commercial work. And rounding out this, this top five or 10 is farmers at number five, roofers at number six, power line workers at number seven, 
drivers, sales workers, truck drivers at number eight. Believe this. Garbage men, refuse and recyclable material collectors were at number nine and the police number 10. And this was a few years ago when the economy was a little slower. The police have dropped back into the uh, 11 to 20 group. So it goes up and down depending on the economy. But I, I was surprised to see that. It, it was a real eye-opener for me to see that the one of the most dangerous jobs is being a commercial airline pilot. Now, of course, this is not just the big uh, uh, passenger planes. These are the small jets, uh, the Gulf Streams and the Lears and all that that fly executives around. And, and we all know of <clears throat> incidences like uh, uh the one that happened a few months ago, and I think it was a cousin of uh, the owner of, of the Bucks. Um, their plane, his plane was coming from the north and coming down here, and I guess they lost, uh, they, they, they lost their pressure and had a leak. And, of course, that's instantaneous death And when you're up at 32,000, 34,000 feet because there's no oxygen up there, and so you just pass out and never know what happened. And, I think Stuart Payne was the golfer that had a similar outcome when he was in his private jet, and they lost their pressure in the cabin. And uh, he went down, I think, over North Dakota or Montana, somewhere up in that part of the country. So it is a dangerous job, and one doesn't think of that. And it's a very small community of workers as well. So you say, well, Doc, it's still a dangerous job. Well, yeah, it is. Let me ask you this. Do you think that murder by felons is the number one cause of death for police? If you do, you better think again because it's traffic accidents. It's motor vehicle accidents. It's getting hit on the side of the road uh, when you have somebody stopped. And although it's not that much greater than the uh, death rate by being shot or stabbed or beat up, beaten to death, uh, it certainly is an eye-opener to say, well, maybe we need to look at why that's happening and try to help the police change that, change how they approach their accident scenes, change how they work a, a traffic stop on a busy street, what side of the car do they approach the uh, driver on. Of course, it doesn't make any sense to come to the passenger side. Uh, you want to make sure that the driver doesn't have a weapon, so you walk up and you stand a little bit behind and you present a low profile and look in. I understand that. Maybe we need to retrain ourselves to pull off into parking lots when the police stop us or pull into side streets, and that might be something that uh, we could certainly pull for as a society. I mean, we want these guys to be safe. We don't want them to get hurt, or guys and gals. We don't want to see them hurt or killed. You know, they're an investment. They're fellow citizens. And we have a duty and a responsibility to be supportive of them, even when we disagree with them. We have avenues for working out our disagreements, not necessarily rioting, but certainly uh, protest, I think, is peaceful protest, I think, is appropriate. Uh, as well as community dialogues, uh, community oversight boards, committees, uh, hopefully 
most of the jurisdictions have this and have some input from the public other than from the mayor and the city council or the county commission. Everybody's going to have a little different view depending on what aspect of the problem you're coming from or the uh, input side that you're coming from. And there's multiple areas where input is needed. And you say, well, how many police do we have? We've got about three quarters of a million to a million, depending upon uh, the uh, economy and growth of, of different areas. So probably about the same number of, of policemen, sworn officers, as we have doctors that are active in this country. And so it's a good analogy to look at the two. Of course, that the police are not going to make anything close to what the doctors are making in terms of salary. But then again, the requirements to be a policeman are certainly less uh, demanding than they are to be a doctor. You know, a lot more schooling, a lot more training, a lot more fellowship and residency and internships. But let me ask you this question, and anybody who calls me, I'll give you a gift certificate for $25 uh, to the restaurant of my wife's choice. What are some of the requirements? What do you think some of the requirements are to become a policeman? When, in a, when a, a guy or a gal applies to become a policeman, what is it that they must possess or must have or cannot have uh, in order to become a policeman or a policewoman? Give me a call. I'm at 813-289-1860. That's 813-289-1860 and 877-969-1860. 8600 that's 877-969-8600. And my question is, is what do you think some of the requirements are or should be for someone to become a policeman or a policewoman? Give me a shout. I'll give you a $25 gift certificate. What about their salaries? Are they being reimbursed uh, proportionate to the relative risks that they take and the responsibilities that they have. Well, there are numbers from 2012 and back that I could find it. As I've said before, it takes a little time for all these numbers to be crunched by our federal and state governments. But it looks like firemen, on average, make about 46,000. Uh, detectives and inspectors and investigators make 73,000. The fire inspectors and fire investigators make 60000 plus. Bailiffs, 55000 Correctional officers out at the jail, 48000 Parking ticket uh, enforcers, meter maids, 33000 plus. And sheriff's patrol officers, policemen, on average, 57000 Now, that doesn't mean that that's what you make when you start. It certainly is not the case in, in our neck of the woods. I think that the numbers are a little bit different than what I gave you were averages. But in Hillsboro and Pinellas County, the two big counties in our area, starting on average is about 43,000 in Hillsboro and about 43,000 and change, 43,200, 300. Now, you can work your way up, and as a sergeant, you may make somewhere between Fifty-five and 67000 in Hillsboro, depending on which jurisdiction you're in. And in Pinellas, you're going to be similar. Uh, when you go up another rank, 
you're going to be in the $61,000, $62,000 range in the Hillsborough County. And in Pinellas, 68000 69000 not too bad of money, uh, you know, not bad money at all. Uh, certainly livable wage and put you in the upper third of the income earners in the United States. So that's certainly something to think about. Looks like we've got a caller. Jeff from Tampa has an answer for us. Hey, Jeff, give us a shout. Guy, what's cooking? Good morning. Good morning. Uh, yeah, I have to say, I think you're doing a pretty even-handed job. Uh, you know, I have a brother-in-law who's a police officer. I'm not. I'm a construction worker. Uh, uh, I think, you know, more than anything else, obviously, uh, a very thick skin is required for a police officer uh, today. And uh, honestly, I, I think it's almost a thankless job. And uh, uh, I've, I've seen and uh, heard stories of just countless heartbreaking things that these folks have to deal with. And, uh, you know, they're human beings. They have emotions. And uh, the degree of training we expect of people, uh, often very young, you know, sometimes, you know, these officers are, you know, in their, in their you know, 20s, 30s, uh, having to deal with incredible stress. And, uh, you know, the, uh, the, the, it's come to light, obviously, recently. Uh, with some of the myths that have been purported uh, and, and trafficked in regarding the deaths of these two people most recently in uh, Ferguson, Missouri, and, uh, and in New York. But uh, yeah, honestly, uh, we can't be children about this. Uh, you know, uh, we obviously expect professionalism in police, but, uh, but we also have to act like adults and, and reasonable, responsible people when we're uh, presented, when we're pulled over, when we're, when we're, this is not a police state. And uh, I guess that's where I'm going with that. Yeah. Well, Jeff, you know, I, I was with you until I had to act like an adult. Then, <laughs> then I'm like, wait a minute. When you get stopped by dad, and, you know, let's face it, that policemen, doctors, lawyers, we act not as parents, but we perform a parenting role in society. And I think that we have to expect people to regress to a certain degree. Now, certainly it's much harder for a guy with a high school diploma than it is with a, a doctor who's gone through four years of college, four years of medical school, and had a tough residency and has had it hammered into his head to keep his mouth shut and not overreact. But I agree with you because I can remember when I was in my 20s and first starting out as a young doctor, uh, boy, I was a lot more emotional. And I was under felt a lot more stress, but I think it's like any job where there's a where, where you're doing service, and, and there's a danger involved. Over the years, you come to recognize those things that are worth getting upset over, and those things that are not worth getting upset over. But I will agree with you that it is tough, particularly in a large country like ours with a very heterogeneous population, with a, a, a wide display between the wealthy and the poor. Uh, that it's going to be a tough job to be a policeman, to know when to react and not react, to know when to step forward and when to back off. And there are dangers involved in it, and I, I agree with you. However, we, we have to uh, not only be patient with the young officers and the young doctors, but we also have to help guide them. And I, th I think that's one area where we need to do a little bit more work and have more community involvement. That's I, I, I agree. I agree. And, you know, one of the things I think that would help a great deal would be to uh, really desist in this nonsense about us. I'm not, I'm not saying that you were doing it, but this, this myth that's being trafficking that we're in a police state because people get their hackles raised when they get pulled over by a police officer or they're asked questions by a police officer. If 
you just act in a professional way, uh, just, you know, as a responsible, uh, you know, I'm not going to say that if you're not doing anything wrong, what do you have to worry about? Of course, you know, you, just recently in Waldo, Florida, for example, they finally did something about the speed trap that was there for years. Yep. There was nothing but a, but a source of tax revenue for that small city. And the cynicism that was involved in that, where, you know, the AAA put up signage that you drove up 301. Uh, there was signage warning people about it. Uh, you know, a fraction of a mile per hour over the speed limit, and you got a ticket. At yep. last, you were a sworn officer. A couple of friends of mine, one a DEA agent and one a, uh, a federal uh, uh, marshal, uh, were, were pulled over there, and they got passes. They, they, they got waved on because they showed their badges. But the regular citizen uh, got a ticket. And uh, yep. so, uh, you know, things like that, certainly, you know. But well, yeah. Uh, I agree, Jeff. There's abuses, and there, and you know, we tend to focus on the uh, abuses more than we do on the uh, majority of the officers who do a great job in the majority of the uh, jurisdictions. But uh, I've got Al from Sun City, Jeff. So, you know, you really had some great uh, points. Stay on the line and and give Chris your name and phone number. I'll have the wife send you out a, a little card, and uh, we'll shift over to Al from Sun City. You still there, Al? Yes, Doctor Bill. Good morning. How you doing? Good, sir. It's always good to hear you and your program. Well, thank you. Well, my comment was to uh, Chris that I believe that that you would possess no police record as a pre- prerequisite. Well, you're right. Uh, there, you can't have any felony arrest. Uh, uh, you can't have uh, misdemeanors. Like uh, you can have some misdemeanors, but if you have twenty traffic tickets, you ain't going to get in. Amen. And, and you and it used to be that that the police back in the fifties and sixties that they didn't even have to have a high school degree. A lot of jurisdictions now, high school degree or GED, and I think some jurisdictions are even going to associate degrees in criminology, which I think is a good idea. Of course, you yes. want somebody that, that's of good moral character. Uh, we don't want uh, you know low lifes, and we don't want. You know, people that are whoring around and drinking and carrying on. We don't want that in our police force. We don't want any history of drug abuse. We don't want any DUIs. We want to make sure they're in good health, both physically, emotionally. I should say all three, mentally, physically, and emotionally. And that, that probably goes back to, to what uh, Jeff was saying, that, uh, you know, it's tough for these guys and they're young guys. And it takes time to to grow into these positions of responsibility. But, yeah, I agree with you, Al. So what do you think? Yeah, Jeff, Jeff brought up a, a lot of good salient points uh, yes, as far as coverage of uh, a police officer and their duties and responsibilities. Yep. And, you know, these guys, they have uh, standards that, that they have to uh, uh, live up to in service training, which should be ongoing in any profession like this, particularly in the use of firearms and when not to use them. And they do have periodic recertification required. So that that's important. And uh, people don't understand why there may be multiple gunshot wounds in somebody who has uh, challenged the policeman and threatened his life. But they're taught to start firing the minute they got they have their gun out of their holster. So as, they're, as they draw, they start shooting and their hand comes up. And you can see that in the a young man in Ferguson where he got shot up the arm and then into the head. So you just see how the gun marched right up. Uh, the shells uh, tracked exactly where the policeman's hand was going. So there's all kinds of things that uh, 
that they are taught that we don't stop and think about. And they're supposed to comply with the standards promoted by the Department of Justice. So we have federal oversight. And, and of course, the as I said last week, the 14th Amendment and the Civil Rights Acts are going to come into play in New York. And if you don't abide by the federal uh, statutes as well as the state, you might find yourself in a federal jail, which I think these guys are going to end up in New, uh, New York in the situation. So we know that these guys have to be citizens, these gals. We hope that they have a high school diploma or GED. I'm sure in our jurisdictions they do because we're fairly large. Uh, we'd like to see some college degrees, associates, or military uh, experience with uh, honorable discharges or not or not a dishonorable discharge because people are discharged for medical reasons, be in good medical, physical, psychological health, clean record, like you say, no felony convictions. They got to have a valid driver's license with a clean driving record, right? Yes, sir. If you don't have that, you can't drive a squad car. Maybe you can work in the in the squadron house. True. And, and, yeah, and we want high moral character, no history of drug abuse or repeated marijuana use or alcoholism, <laughs> ethics, professionalism. Uh, we want to know about their prior employment record, motor vehicle. Uh, experience, educational experience, all these things uh, are important. Financial improprieties, you, you may not have been arrested, but you may have been uh, implicated in some financial uh, misdoings, and we don't want a policeman that's uh, doing that. We want people that are doing because they love the job, and they have a passion for it, and they can live on the salary that they're making, and there's opportunity to make more than 60 or 70 a year if you work overtime. No domestic violence, no mental illness, no safety or security risk, and they have to be legally eligible to own and carry a firearm. If they have some prior history of, of problems with a firearm, they're not going to be a policeman, not in our society. Maybe in London they can be a policeman where carrying a, a gun is not part of the job. But uh, there, there are a number of factors, and so if these are adhered to by those who are screening, then we're going to have uh, much more opportunity for a good class of uh, cadets coming out of the uh, police training. And that makes a big difference. It's like medicine or law or <clears throat> accounting or any uh, profession where you have to have a license to perform the duties that you perform, or you have to be sworn in, like a policeman is, then there's a, another level of uh, uh, responsibility and of expectations that come along with holding that license. You know, I can't go out in public and get drunk and fall down, because when I go out, I'm not Bill Handelman. I'm Dr. Bill Handelman, and I'll get called before the state board if, if somebody reports me. And for that kind of behavior, I could lose my license. And, well, I should. Now, some doctors will say, what's the big deal? We're just people, too. Well, the rules are different for us, just like for police. We have uh, more power. We have more discretion. We have more authority in society. And we're also held up as higher examples. And so we are expected to behave in a certain way when we go into public. And when we go to uh, into our private lives, we are expected to behave, too. We're not supposed to uh, be sexually involved with any of our patients. That's uh, immediate grounds for losing your license. 
or, or involved in drugs or have problems with alcoholism or domestic violence, all these types of things. So, uh, you know, it's, it, it, it's very demanding when you get to that level of responsibility. And certainly the police are pretty close to what we are. I don't think they have as many life and death decisions to make on a daily basis as I do, but they certainly have that presented to them. And, you know, I've, I've said that very few professions uh, are equivalent to what a critical care doctor does uh, in terms of life and death on a daily basis. You can think of field-grade uh, military officers. Uh, you can think of policemen in high-crime areas, but there's not many that have that daily life and death decision to make it looks like uh, chris has to go to the little boys room so i'm going to take a break here great show this morning i'll be back this is dr bill your radio md With SRN News, I'm Michael Harrington in Washington. It hit a few snags, but a $1.1 trillion spending bill is now on its way to President Obama for his signature. The Senate voted 56-40 late yesterday in favor of the compromise. It'll keep the government running through September of next year. Israel's Prime Minister expressing strong displeasure at pending U.N. Security Council resolutions regarding the Jewish state's borders and its treatment of Palestinians. He says his country may face a diplomatic offensive that could fuel radical Islam in the Middle East. Police in Alabama say no one has been detained, but the investigation is ongoing into the shooting death early this morning of an Auburn University freshman football player. Jaquel Mitchell was killed in an apartment complex near the Auburn campus. And Chinese authorities say some airline passengers who threw hot water will be severely punished. They threw water and noodles on a Thai flight attendant, threatened to blow up the plane, and raged over seating arrangements. This is SRN News. Captain Matt Bruce, overnight on WGUL. Hello, everybody. This is the Captain Matt Bruce. On behalf of the Captain's America Third Watch, I'd like to wish everybody Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays. Please don't forget our military men and women serving America who can't be with their families. God bless them all, and may God continue to bless the United States of America. The Captain's America Third Watch, overnights beginning at 2 on Talk Radio 860 WGUL. If you had $25,000 to bet against Warren Buffett, would you? Hi, I'm Nicholas Vardy, a London-based money manager, and I've put $25,000 of my own money on the line against one of the most successful investors of our time. And I'm so confident I'll beat the Oracle of Omaha, I've decided to go public and share the details of my bet against Buffett on my website, nicholasvardy.com. There, I'll also tell you two ways you too can beat Buffett. One strategy is up an incredible 1,456% over the last 14 years versus 252% for Buffett. 
to get my free special report on my bet against Buffett, plus two ways you can beat Buffett too, visit www.nicholasvardy.com. That's N-I-C-H-O-L-A-S-V-A-R-D-Y.com. NicholasVardy.com. 860 WGUL welcomes a new voice for conservative values, the Jim Lockwood Show. In order to overturn a regulation passed by the IPAB, you need three-fifths of a vote plus a subsequent law that the board itself determines. Never before have we had a federal agency isolated, and no federal agency has the authority to demand legislation be written by Congress. Sunday mornings at 11 on 860 WGUL. Sunshine in your forecast today with a high of 69. Tonight, clear skies, low 46. Tomorrow should be pleasant with a full day of sunshine and a high of 70. Tomorrow evening, mainly clear, low 50. For Tuesday, expect a full day of sunshine and a high of 72. Wednesday, mainly sunny, high 72. That's your AccuWeather forecast. I'm Sarah Lauer for Talk Radio 860 WGUL. a little bit of Hill Street Blues. <clears throat> For those of you who remember that police show, I think that was in, what, the 1980s and 90s, as I recall? Mid-80s, mid-80s. It had a big following for a while. Gave us some uh, dramatized insight into uh, the police workings and doings, the police station, and how they uh, conduct their business. Uh, you know, that after police officers are trained... Uh, uh, the uh, psychologists tell us that once they gain experience, that they have different operational styles depending upon uh, their personalities and their beliefs. And it's uh, fascinating to see the different styles that they develop. Uh, legalistic is one of them, and, and there's an emphasis on violations of the law. In my way of thinking, that's the more black and white kind of uh, personality uh, that you broke the law and. Therefore, I'm going to give you a ticket or I'm going to arrest you. And so the use of threats or actual arrest to solve disputes is greater in these people who are more legalistic in their outlook. Uh, There's the watchman personality and and an emphasis on informal means of resolving disputes, trying to uh, be more of an arbitrator and calm things down. And then there's the service uh, personality and emphasis on helping the community as opposed to just enforcing the laws. And, and probably there's a mix in most uh, officers of these different aspects. But, uh, you, you know, you all know and we all know that there are some police that are just so rigid. And as my police friends tell me, you just don't give the police a hard time. And I think that was the point that was made earlier, too, uh, 
I think that you just got to be yes, sir, no, sir, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, uh, when you get stopped and uh, apologize uh, and, and try not to get upset and try not to be afraid. Uh, that's one of the hardest things for us to do when we're in the presence of a parenting figure. And it's in the doctor's office, too. I see this all the time. And I think that the operational style that people use helps to decrease that fear, allay that, and helps people to feel comfortable in a setting where there is somebody who is potentially much more powerful than them and acting in a parenting role uh, to be comfortable in that setting. And, you know, I use a lot of humor in the office, and I've, I've had uh, interactions with some of the cops who have good senses of humor. And, of course, you feel a lot more comfortable around them, and that's that's one way to uh, to do it without getting somebody's hair on their back standing up straight just by approaching them for something simple. You know, like this kid out in Ferguson who was walking in the middle of the road, an open challenge, and uh, he got challenged, unfortunately. So the list of functions that these guys are expected to carry out is, is pretty, uh, uh, pretty long, and it varies from place to place. There are some similarities in police departments and some differences depending on where you are. If you're in a high crime area, like, uh, I don't know, what's high crime now? Chicago, South Chicago? You're going to have a different style and different functions. You're going to be mostly involved with and time consumed with trying to catch the bad guys and stop the, uh, the murders and the rapes and all that. But if you're in a little township like Gulfport, which is middle class and very friendly with the low crime rate, your job may be more uh, one of enforcing the traffic laws <clears throat> or checking on houses that are vacant or abandoned to make sure that kids or whatever haven't broken into them. Uh, so it's, it, it varies from jurisdiction to jurisdiction. And, of course, the patrol, that's what we all think of as being the main thing that police do, is to drive their cars around and keep an eye on things. And I guess there's some debate as to how effective this is in uh, decreasing crime rates in various jurisdictions. But uh, psychologically, for me, it's, it's reassuring. And I don't know about for you guys, but I like to see the police making their rounds. I like it when they park in my parking lot at the office. And I, I unfortunately challenged a guy in, a, in an SUV, and he was parked in the lot. And I said, uh, can I help you? I'm, I own this property. And he said, yeah, I'm just doing paperwork. Do you mind if I, if I sit here? And I said, not as long as you help me pave the driveway in the parking lot next time. And then he said, well, I'm a police officer. I'm a detective. And he held up his badge. I said, stay as long as you like. <laughs> but, but I also said, how come you guys are here when I don't need you? And then when I do need you, he says, I know we're, we're, it, it always is upside down. But, uh, you know, we need to be courteous. And I want them to know that they are welcome to make their rounds and welcome to utilize my parking lot to do paperwork or whatever. Uh, we even hired some of the city cops for uh, one of our office parties. We had ongoing party for several years, finally had to drop it because of finances. But it was really uh, a good thing that they did. And 
And as well, if you start off at forty, forty-five, fifty thousand dollars, and you moonlight doing things like this, you can end up making sixty or seventy thousand dollars a year before you even get to be an officer in the police force. This uh, is is good. Should be that way. You know, you work hard, you should be paid. You take risk, you should be rewarded. <clears throat> I, I agree with that a hundred percent. And the risk that that uh, the officers take, as we talked about before, can be life threatening. But they also have duties like responding to burglar alarms, and they've responded at my office building at times when the alarm's gone off. As you all know, and as I all know, we all know that those stupid alarms, 99% of the time they go off, it's a false alarm. And by the way, you get charged by the St. Pete police if you uh, have an alarm go off and they respond to it, and it's it's a false alarm. So if you're having alarm problems, Make sure you get the company to come out and fix it. And, of course, investigating traffic accidents is a big part of their patrol, caring for injured people, trying to resolve domestic disputes, and this is a tough one, and I don't envy those guys. I, I just uh, would not want to be in the position of being in the front line of trying to break up a domestic dispute. You never know when you're going to get shot by one or the other or beat up by one or the other. So that's a tough one. And, of course, they have to respond to their radio calls. And between calls, they've got to do preventative controls. I'm sorry, preventative patrols, P-A-T-R-O-L-S. And some of these things have been challenged and have shown not to be uh, helpful in reducing crime rates. One of the things that has been introduced over the recent years is the directed patrol, and that's where the uh, police are patrolling areas that are targeted as high crime areas and areas where there's a lot of auto thefts or robberies or muggings and beatings, that there's more of a presence there. And, of course, if you're going to ask a young guy to go down to uh, a tough crime, high crime area where there's more chance of being injured or shot or killed, Uh, you're going to have emotionally more charged situations when the police are involved. But we do need to do crime mapping. And unfortunately, uh, some of this is going to be a a form of profiling. And I don't know how you get around that. However, as I said last week, there are problems with the police uh, coming into contact with lower-income folks and holding them more accountable financially which they can't afford, and then that leads to or continues the resentment, especially in the black community. And so we need to do something. We need to have some way to fix that so that the indirect tax placed on the black community, which causes a lot of resentment towards the police and the white power structure, that that is dissipated. You know, I like the foot patrols, but apparently they have not shown to prevent crime. But they do promote relationships, healthy relationships with the community and more positive feelings. And if I were a cop, I'd certainly think that was important to me that we not be um, or not go out and face hostile uh, populace, you know, so I I would think that this would be a good thing from the police's point of view, 
not necessarily from the community in terms of getting <clears throat> more service and less crime. Looks like we got another caller on the line. Apparently, I've got something going here. Gary from Largo uh, was a law enforcement officer, and Gary would like to uh, jump in on this. I'm glad to have you. What's up, Gary? Well, good morning, Dr. Bell. First off, I, I just wanted to compliment you on that recent interview you did with uh, John L. Casey from NASA, who was an excellent uh, guest, and uh, he had so much information that was good for us to know. But getting to the question of how you deal with police officers in, in a way that's mutually beneficial to both, uh, treat the cops the way you would have them treat you. The golden rule applies here. They, they're worried about doing their jobs right. They're worried about going home to their families. They have no idea who they're stopping. Uh, if they do pull you over, resist the temptation to go reaching for your registration and license because that looks like a furtive movement to them. Put your hands on the, on the wheel you know, uh, and uh, and talk to them. Let them do the talking, actually, and uh, and be courteous, and 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 you'll put them at ease every time. Yep. They ha they do have a difficult job. They they they're never certain who they're dealing with, and you have to. You these are confidence building measures. If you can just show them that they're you mean them no harm, you're willing to follow their direction. Uh, you're going to let them take the lead. They do have the badge of authority, yep. and and this is this is all for the good. You will never. I mean, most cops, the very few rogue cops that are out there that are abusing their authority, they really do not last very long because they have their own internal affairs to deal with. People that are watching them, watching yep. their every move. So, and which is, uh, which is good, and that's good. You know, every absolutely. Every... Every profession needs to have its oversight committees. We have the State Board of Medicine. Yeah. Absolutely. And as I look back on the Michael Brown case, and I, uh, you know, striking an officer is the surest way oh, to yeah. incur not only more serious charges, but serious bodily injury. You, you can never, and, and in Eric Gardner's case, you can never, once it's announced to you you're under arrest, you can forget about pleading your way out of it. Uh, arguing your way out of it, God help you. You try to fight your way out of it or run yep. for it. Your your chance of getting away by it's foot slim. on foot, it's slim to none. <laughs> slim to none. <laughs> slim to none. But you know. So the moral of the story, in my opinion, and I've worked with police closely. I was actually a correctional medic. I don't mean to portray myself as a police officer, but I worked closely with the police. In, in the local jail and took their, their people in. And the people that were beaten up were people that were abusive, that were arguing, that were pushing cops around, that were asserting non-existent rights. I mean, once you're under arrest, you know, your best bet is to remain silent and cooperate fully. Oh, yeah. And, oh, yeah. and, and, and not try to, to outwit them or or, or out out uh, or display force toward a uh, resistance no, toward that doesn't work. Never will. Never does. Never will. Never will. But uh, anyway, I do want to thank you. I love your show. I tune in every week. Oh, thanks, man. We appreciate you uh, giving us a, a plus and, and a star. And by the way, uh, stay on the line, and Chris will get your uh, 
address and all that, and I'll have the wife send you out a gift certificate for. Uh, oh my God, you're so good. That's too <laughs> good, man. You're too good. Merry Christmas. All right. You too. You too. All nice right. to have you Thank the call. So, uh, you know, gosh, Chris, I mean, I, I try to think about the last time I ran and got away from the cops, and I think I was six years old. Uh, we were, uh, there was a whole little bevy of us, and we were pelting cars with rocks. And uh, a cop car came by, and we were pelting him. I don't think the rocks were big enough to do any damage, but he stopped and put on his lights and siren and see about a half a dozen, a dozen little six, seven, five, six, seven-year-olds just scatter from the bushes. We thought we were invisible, but, of course, we weren't. But, you know, I agree that uh, that uh, you, you got to be respectful. And, and and I think for a lot of us, though, there's a fear element involved, in, and uh, I think the police have to be also aware of that and try to use, if they think it will help, a little humor, a little lightness, like, hey, dude, what up, you know, talk to the folks and uh it's like any profession but uh you know they never know what they're going to come into when they stop somebody and that element of the unknown certainly adds an another layer of of risk emotional risk that uh, say a logger or uh a fisherman up in the Bering Sea might not have because he knows when he goes out there that he has to be hypervigilant because any log and every log could be the log that kills you or every trap that you pull in could be the one that pulls you into the water. And then there's absolutely no hope of being found in, in the rough uh, North Seas there. So I agree with that. Now, what what's the good part of, of being a cop then? Well, if you can get to be an investigator, a criminal investigator, a detective, then, you, you know, you're kind of like a made man in that profession. Uh, you don't have as much direct uh, conflict coming your way from uh, from people that you're stopping on the street or uh, fights in homes that you're trying to break up. You're looking at crimes that have occurred. You've got a basis already with the uh, beat cops who have hopefully gathered all the information and all of the uh, evidence that they can before you get involved in it. But it's also very frustrating because a lot of crimes are not solved. They're tough to solve. You have to locate witnesses and suspects. You have to arrest these criminals. You have to uh, gather all this evidence and process it and interview the witnesses. And you may have witnesses who say, I don't want to get involved. You know, that guy's crazy. If he doesn't get convicted, he'll kill me. You have to have a style of interrogating suspects. Then you've got to write all this up. And you've got to seize the contraband. And it goes down into the property room. And then on top of that, these guys have to, and gals have to prepare their cases and testify in court. And that's uh, another level of stress, especially for a young detective starting out. But detectives enjoy several advantages over the beat officers, the patrol officers. They don't necessarily have to wear uniforms. There's anonymity. They have steadier uh, work hours for the most part, often during daytimes with weekends off. Although uh, some, like the murder squads, uh, the murder detectives, they may have to go out any time of the day or night. And they have their own office or desk or area where they can sit down and work. And there's, of course, prestige as well as more money. And they have more freedom overall than the patrol officers. But they have to work their way up there. And I, I'm not sure, but I would think that if you had a bachelor's in criminology, you'd probably be on a faster track to being a detective or some uh, 
something other than a beat cop uh, if you had that under your belt. So, oh, by the way, that's another reason to stay in school, guys, is to uh, get ahead. But there's also a lot of frustration. Crimes are difficult to solve. Again, you have witnesses that don't want to get involved. Success rate at solving a lot of crimes is very, very low. And you got to remember that there are still a lot of murders that have occurred in the United States have not been solved. I don't know how accurate it is, but I heard at one point Los Angeles had several thousand unsolved murder cases, and the cold case squads have been formed in a lot of jurisdictions to try and bring the uh, the perpetrators of these heinous crimes, uh, the murder of another human being, uh, to justice, and I'm all for that. You know, the beat cops, on the other hand, end up responding to simple things like traffic accidents or stopping people on the interstate and they get hit or killed and we see this on the tv shows all the time that's a big problem so the safety and how we implement that that's something that we need to think about uh, in conjunction with the police and our commitment to them you know we have an investment here and if we put tens of thousands of dollars and pay salaries to these guys and gals and to train them and get them up to snuff, then we're going to expect that our investment pays off. And so we have an active duty and responsibility. And uh, I think that uh, we, we do have to be courteous. And we might say to the policeman officer, I, I don't think it's safe here. Let's pull off or, or put on your turn signal when you're being stopped and, and uh, get off the main road, go to a side road or a parking lot, like I said, and then then stop. And I think that everybody will be safer. And it will certainly take uh, an element of anxiety out of the beat cops uh, day because he's not standing there with his with his ass hanging out on the interstate highway uh, and a good target for somebody uh, inadvertently or advertently to hit. So I agree we need to be courteous, we need to be thoughtful, and the police need to be the same. And I like what uh, what we heard from our one friend who said that it's the golden rule. Treat them the way you would like to be treated. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. So community policing, I guess that's the thing we all think of as uh, being available and being there to be uh, prophylactic or preventative uh, in terms of making sure that the bad guys know you're there. And following up on the small things, there's the broken windows theory that states that those minor annoyances are signs of crime and, and that if they're not dealt with early, more serious problems are likely to occur. Makes sense. You know, it's like a stitch in time saves nine. But it's hard to respond to all of these petty things, especially when you're in a busy police force in a big city. It's tough. A lot of things these guys got to do. Does not excuse bad behavior, but hopefully, as we heard from one of our friends this morning, those people will be weeded out sooner rather than later. And I want to say once again that I have uh, the... uh, greatest respect for policemen, and I want to show as much support as I can, but I also want them to do things for me that I expect of them, like uh, responding appropriately to my request for um, arresting somebody for stealing from me. And that's not always easy for young guys to understand and see, 
and I, I understand that too. So there's got to be some forgiveness on both sides. But again, let's get the community involved, and I just can't tell you how much I appreciate everybody calling in this morning. This made it a really interesting and great show, and uh, I'll look forward to seeing you guys next week. By the way, I'm at Bay Area Medical, 727 384 6411 727-384-6411. Love you guys. We'll see you next week. This is Dr. Bill, your Radio MD. Ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, a fantastic piece of artwork, a bronze sculpture here for your... Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.